You're listening to Coaching Skills for Leaders. This is episode 19, airing on January 2nd, 2012. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching Skills for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to develop their coaching skills so they can help others achieve their maximum potential. Whether you're a seasoned leader or you're leading people for the first time, improving your coaching skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic is the case for personal leadership. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coaching Skills for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and I'm coming to you from our studio here in Orange County, California. Happy New Year to you, and uh, happy 2012. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season, and if you got to have some time off and relax and spend time with family, all the better. And I am very excited to be back with you here at the very beginning of the new year for all of us to really have a conversation about how we can be more effective as leaders and particularly in our own personal leadership to be as effective in 2012 as possible and beyond. But before looking forward, I thought I'd look back for a week or two here, and it's been an interesting week for us at at home just over the last couple of weeks. Uh, My wife uh, and I rushed to the hospital on Christmas Eve, actually, because she was having some complications again with uh, the uh, pregnancy, and we actually were in the hospital from Christmas Eve through New Year's Eve, and uh, thankfully, everything is still going okay. She's now home again, and uh, you know, as we have learned, many women with pregnancy uh, just have complications that come up uh, with bleeding and other things, to, you know, at the later stages of pregnancy. And so it uh, thankfully, everything has worked out great. The baby uh, has always looked great and still looks great. And uh, hopefully we'll be showing up here in the next few weeks. And but this this whole experience for me uh, has really been interesting from the standpoint of, you know, reflection on what's important in life. And as we were sitting in the hospital on Christmas day and talking with each other and uh, talking about the situation and just reflecting on the year, you know, I, it's amazing how much things that normally are a part of the Christmas season, the holiday season just become afterthoughts like, you know, presents and you know, uh, talking, you know, making the right food and all those types of things that, you know, are typically part of the holiday season. And, and the importance that when something like that happens, when you're dealing with health and safety of, you know, uh, spouses and children and family, that you really stop to think about what's truly important. And even though it was not the holiday season that either of us had really planned on of spending a lot of time in the hospital, it was still a wonderful holiday for us because we were together and we were able to spend time uh, talking and dialoguing and visiting with each other and really discussing what was most important in life and being so incredibly grateful for it. So I mentioned that because I think that speaks a lot to what I'm going to be talking about in this episode today, 
which is we have a lot of extraneous stuff and noise that goes on in our lives, our personal lives and our professional lives and our lives as leaders. And we can get bogged down in a lot of the extraneous things, the you know, uh, the daily grind and what's coming at us. And, and all those things are always going to be there. But we really need to first, as leaders, as just human beings, focus on what's most important and put our priorities in the right place. And I, I was thinking about this also last night. I was reading an article in Opinion Piece, actually, in the New York Times called The Joy of Quiet. And I'll put a link to that up here on the show notes for episode 19. But the uh, opinion piece was about how many more people now are really realizing the importance of disconnecting from things like the internet for, you know, a period of time each week. And I've started to do some of this in 2011 and we'll do more of that this year, but really of centering on the things that are most important, dialogue with others, personal conversation, uh, communication, family time. And getting away from kind of this onslaught of data and, uh, and information that's coming our way every day. And that's just a really great tie-in to what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks here on this show, which is personal leadership. And today starts my series on personal leadership here in January. And yes, coaching skills is the focus of this podcast. It's going to continue to be the focus of this podcast and will be for the most of 2012. But before we jump in and talk a lot about how to coach others and how to engage people and how to give feedback and so many of the other topics that I'm planning on for this year, it's an important thing to step back first and look at our own personal leadership, who we are as individual leaders and how that influences how we can be effective in so many other aspects of leading others. And so uh, we're going to get started on that today. And the topic today is the case for personal leadership. Why should we care as leaders? Why should we spend time focusing on this and planning for this? So as I'm going through today's show, you may have questions or feedback for me. And if you do, you can reach me one of two ways. 877-LEARN-45 is our voicemail feedback line, so you can reach us there with any comments or questions you have about the show. Again, that's 877-LEARN-45, or you can send email to me at feedback at innovatelearning.com. So again, that's feedback at innovatelearning.com. Uh, yesterday was New Year's Day, and Bonnie and I had a couple of our friends uh, come over for lunch yesterday, and one of them was sharing with me that uh, you know he has a new manager at work and uh, was talking with me about some of the uh, failings of this new manager and, and the challenges that that you know he's having with working with this new manager and saying that he was noticing that there were some things that were true about this manager in their personal life and the things they had experienced in their past and how that was showing up in the workplace as well and how some of the things that were happening in this person's personal life were showing up and how this person managed people and how this person handled conflict and the type of trust that this person has with the organization that they're working in. And we were dialoguing just about how common that is, that the things that are happening to us personally, the experiences we've had, the, um, the challenges that each of us as leaders 
have in, in our own blind spots, how while those affect us, when we bring them into a leadership role, they become magnified. They not only affect us, but they start to affect other people and people see those blind spots and those uh, those shortcomings even more strongly than we do. And that can really affect our ability to be effective as a leader. And so it's imperative that we spend some time here at the beginning of the year to really look at ourselves first and to turn the mirror on ourselves. And if we want to be effective leaders, we should be looking at ourselves first and we should always be doing this. And we'll continue to dialogue about this of the importance of really taking time to uh, look first uh, personally. And if we do that, we can be a lot more effective interpersonally. And so four resources today that I'll mention that I think make a pretty strong case for the importance of personal leadership and the importance of focusing on this as individuals and as leaders. And I'm going to mention uh, at least four books here today. And because, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to do in my work and when I'm advising leaders and when we're consulting to organizations is rather than bringing our opinions about what it is that we believe to uh, to people and organizations is, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer. I've been trained as a researcher and, uh, you know, going through my academic work and, uh, you know, and I've been in organizations long enough to know that it's not just enough to have a strong opinion about something. And certainly I have opinions about many things when it comes to leadership, but to really be able to look and talk to people and say, hey, make the case to me, show me the evidence, show me, show me the research, show me the data that supports what it is that you're saying. So here are four sources today that I think make the case for personal leadership and do it in a pretty strong way. And I'm going to be getting more and more into these resources we go along this month and talk more about leadership and personal leadership. The first of these is a book that's called The Leadership Challenge. The Leadership Challenge is now in its, I believe, fourth edition or fifth edition. I'm going to grab the book here. Yep, it's fourth edition. And uh, the leadership challenge is, uh, you may have seen it if you've ever gone to the bookstore, and of course, a lot of us don't go to bookstores anymore, but uh, back when we all went to bookstores, you would go out to the leadership uh, section or the management section of the bookstore, and you'd see this yellow book all over the place. And of course, uh, when you go to bookstores, you'll still see it. It is by uh, Jim Cousy's and Barry Posner. It is called the leadership challenge. It's a bright yellow book. You uh, will, if you've been spending any time in doing leadership reading or uh, or in bookstores, you'll recognize the look of the book. And uh, it's, as I mentioned, in its fourth edition, it is a great book on leadership. And I recommend it all the time to individuals and to our clients who really want to get just kind of a, a found, a good, solid foundation of leadership 101 what do you what are the kind of the big things you need to know if you're going to lead people and to do it in a somewhat effective way? And the great thing about this book and what they've done with with Kuzis and Posner have done with their research over the years around leadership is they spend a lot of time looking at and studying and researching what I would call, and I forget the language they use, but the everyday leader. People like you and me who are not, necessarily and not necessarily but not fortune 500 ceos or you know famous people or famous celebrities um but to really look at people who are kind of the everyday leaders people who are not famous who are have you know haven't written 15 new york times bestsellers 
but are people who are in the organizations and our communities who do an amazing job leading others and leading organizations. Now, I say that, you know, it's not that we can't learn things from celebrities or Fortune 500 CEOs, but I think for, for many of us, those aren't necessarily the best role models um, because, you know, for for them, there's just not that many of them, first of all. And when you look at it, you know, a lot of us have read over the years books by very famous executives and famous, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs and, uh, you know, you you know, the Jack Welches and the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and, you know, all those kind of big name you know, leaders, management, uh, managers that we've all heard of and, and you know, uh, certainly read about and studied over the years. I don't think those are always the best role models for us as leaders. And a couple of reasons for that is one is there's just so few people that operate at the level that those folks are operating at. Um, and, and so, you know, that's just kind of a whole nother level of leading and organizing and managing. The other thing that I, I think is challenging of really looking to those folks as role models is when you're at that level uh, in leadership in large organizations or you know even leading countries and government, there's just very little work-life balance. And you know every organization talks about and espouses the importance of work-life balance. The reality is is most people who are leading at that level, and uh, in today's organizations don't have a whole lot of it. And so I don't always think that those are the best role models for us to look to. And I don't know if that's the reason that Kuzis and Posner have focused on more of the everyday leader in their research, but I think that may be one of the reasons is is really looking at people who um, are holistically leading their entire lives, not just the business world effectively. And then of course, the other reason too is, is, you know, so many CEOs and, you know, uh, high level, you know, fortune 500 managers, there's such a high turnover rate. I forget the tenure today of, you know, a fortune 500 CEO, but it's something like, you know, three years. So, you know, one of the things that's really important to me is, you know, what is things that you can do as a leader that are going to be sustainable over years? Uh, you know, whether you stay with the same organization or whether you're leading in different capacities and venues, but things that you can learn that are going to really stay with you for a long term and and keep you leading a successful organization for many years if you want to, uh, and assuming that you and the organization continue to benefit from that. So I mention all of this because uh, in this book, The Leadership Challenge, and they have they have done tremendous research over the years looking at all the different aspects of leadership and you know when you look at all these leaders around the world and through all their research what is it that makes people effective leaders and they have boiled it down to essentially five practices what they call five practices of leadership and the first one is model the way model the way and so they break that down then into two subcategories which is to clarify your values as a leader and then to set the example. And of course, what that means is leading yourself first. So focusing on who you are as a leader first in determining what your core values are, and then the actions and the uh, the conversations you have as a leader in what you do in order to be able to lead others. So you know, I, I think it's just amazing that they've spent all this time over the years looking at everything. And, and the first thing they come up with is that you have to model the way as a leader first. You have to be the person that really sets the example for how you want people to 
interact with you, how you want the organization to move forward, and how you focus on your development in order to give value to others. Uh, Another great example of this is a book by Kevin Cashman that's called Leadership from the Inside Out. It's in its second edition and is a great book on leadership and really guides you through a wonderful process of self-discovery as well. And uh, Kevin Cashman uh, cites an article uh, back in the February 2006 edition of Harvard Business Review where uh, they did it. uh, He works for an organization called, I believe it's Corn Ferry, uh, that does uh, a ton of research around leadership and how people lead effectively and kind of looks at more of the, you know, kind of some of the quantitative research around that. And they did a global study on, uh, let's see, 180,000 individuals in five levels of management from entry level to the top. And what that showed is, is that if people don't develop, they don't advance. The people who are really advancing in organizations, the people who are continually being trusted with more and more responsibility are the people that are, uh, for the most part, really entrusted with more responsibility and higher and higher levels of leadership. And I think it's interesting that even Harvard Business Review, which is probably one of the premier publications uh, in the world today, on business effectiveness has an entire book on managing yourself. Uh, One of the uh, Harvard Business Review has this great series called HBR's 10 Must Reads. And of course, uh, Harvard Business Review publishes every month and they have articles every month and they have now a series out, I think it's five or six books total on the 10 best reads in, in five or six key areas. And one of these books is on managing yourself and they have 10 top articles in this book. I'm going to be citing from this uh, you know, throughout the next few weeks as we talk about personal leadership and managing yourself. But I think that it's you know, another key evidence and key data point for us to look at and say, Here, you know, here's a publication uh, from you know, one of the top business schools in the country that's really recognizing the importance of managing yourself first. And of course, another resource out there is uh, probably one of the most successful business books of all time. It's well over 15 million sold now. It's been a national bestseller for uh, tw- something like 20 years. It, this is a book you will instantly recognize the name of. It's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. If you haven't read this book, you need to read this book. It is still really uh, probably one of the best books on being an effective individual and being an effective leader. And of course, as you may imagine, there are seven habits. He talks about in the book, that's the title. The first three habits are all about yourself, what Stephen Covey calls private victory. And, and then of course, the, the last you know, four, five, and six are public victory, and then seven is sharpening the saw, which is kind of keeping all of them together. But the the first three habits are about yourself. And he challenges us as leaders and as people who want to be effective to start with ourselves first. And in fact, the number one first, uh, first habit is be proactive. And he talks about the importance of stimulus and response. And he makes the case in The Seven Habits for Highly Effective People that one of the unique things that we have as human beings 
that no other animal in the uh, you know in the natural world has is the ability to uh, have something have a stimulus come into our lives whether that's a conversation or something that happens to us or whatever and then to choose how we respond to that you know everyone else in the animal kingdom reacts something happens they react we have this amazing ability as human beings to choose how we respond through our own self-awareness, through our imagination, through our conscious, and our independent will. In between stimulus and response, we have a space as humans as to how we uh, handle the world and how we choose to respond to what happens to us. And there's the old cliche that 5% of life is what happens to you. 95% is how you respond to it. And I think the Probably the first person that really made this concept popular was Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, also another great book if you've never had a chance to read it. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychologist, and he was uh, he lived during the time of World War II. He was, um, I, I'm, I believe he was Jewish. He t- was taken by the Nazis during the during World War II and lived in one of the concentration camps for um, for several years. And as he was trained as a psychologist, he spent his tried to use his time in the uh, in the concentration camps, not only surviving, but trying to understand how people, what was the difference between the people who survived that experience? And the people who didn't, of course, of the ones who had the choice, you know, many people didn't have the choice or the ability to survive. But if people who could have survived the experience in concentration camps, Frankel was really interested in what was the difference between the people who made it and the people who didn't. And what he decided is after observing his fellow prisoners over the, that time in the concentration camps during the war and, and also reflecting on his own experience that the difference maker the one key difference maker was that people who survived were the people that had something left to live for that they had yet undone. And he said the importance of having personal vision and really uh, of, of kind of focusing on that stimulus versus response, choosing how they responded to the world. And Viktor Frankl decided that in the concentration camps, the way he was going to respond was not going to be a prisoner in his mind, but to really um, imagine the future and imagine how it was that he was going to utilize what he learned from his experience in the concentration camps to teach others about humanity. And he envisioned that he would, when he was prisoner, that he would someday lecture to people in room, beautifully lit rooms with comfortably upholstered chairs and to teach people about the concentration camps. And that vision was so strong for him that it helped him to survive that experience. He was liberated, he was freed, and ultimately he was uh, he was someone that really spawned a whole new, new uh, branch of psychology and went around the world teaching people about the psychology of the concentration camps in beautifully illuminated rooms and comfortable chairs. And that's how he spent the rest of his life. And he had an amazing vision, and we're going to talk about vision in the coming weeks too, but the importance of being able to have stimulus come into your life and to choose how you respond to it, 
And Victor Franker was a great example of that. And then my final piece of evidence here today is from uh, you know one of my favorite authors, Dale Carnegie. Dale Carnegie wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, another great book. I've mentioned it before on this podcast on why that's a why it's such a great tool for people if you want to be able to lead and influence others. Um, I've been very privileged over the last seven, eight years to facilitate probably thousands of hours for the Dale Carnegie organization in some of their core programs on how to win friends and influence people in the Dale Carnegie course. And one of the things I'm always struck by in anytime I've taught course, you know, the Dale Carnegie program is how many people come into the class uh, looking for tools and resources to change other people. And, and certainly there's, there's tools and resources you can use from that program to influence other people. But the people who end up gaining the most from the development experience and going through one of those classes, inevitably, every single time I've, I've ever facilitated for them, is the people who look inwardly first and make tremendous change personally. And then all of a sudden, they start being able to influence others and affect change in other people's uh, minds and attitudes and organizations in some amazing ways. And so I really challenge you to also look for the opportunity to change yourself first. You can't actually change anyone else. And that's the thing about personal leadership is if we go out into the world and try to change other people, we will fail miserably. But if we go out into the world affecting change in ourselves first, we will be able to substantially increase our ability to influence others as well. And this, after all, is a show about helping you help others achieve their maximum potential. You can't do that by changing others. You can do that by changing yourself. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I won't because to some extent, I'm preaching to the choir here. You wouldn't be listening to this show. You wouldn't still be listening to this show 25 minutes in if you didn't already have an appreciation for this of the importance of focusing on yourself. So rather than go on and on, let me tell you about where we're going in the next few weeks. So next week, January 9th, we're going to tackle one of the most important aspects of personal leadership, which is helping you determine what your core values are. And that's something that all of these authors and researchers around leadership focus on as a key skill for each one of us. So January 9th, next week, we're going to talk about core values. On January 16th, we're going to look at what are my strengths and my blind spots. And I'm hoping to have a guest join me for that week that I'm reaching out to and uh, some more information about that. On January 23rd, creating your personal vision. So vision is key. Vision is part of what I was mentioning with Viktor Frankl and his success. We're going to talk about how to create our personal personal vision for 2012. And then finally, on January 30th, we're going to round out the month with talking about your 2012 action plan and how we and you can put action behind the planning you've done over the previous few weeks in order to develop yourself as a leader this year in the best possible way. So stay tuned. Lots coming in the next few weeks. And I'm curious also, what do you want to hear? What do you want to know about each one of those areas? Core values? What are your strengths? your personal vision, and your action plan. If you have thoughts or comments now about those, send me an email or give me a call because I will be sure to include those comments and feedback into each of those episodes as we put them together. And so you can reach out to me at 877-LEARN-45 or you can email that feedback to 
feedback at innovatelearning.com. And actually, that's what Sandrine had done this past week is sent an email to me at feedback at innovatelearning.com. Sandrine or Sandrine, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. I'm going to go with Sandrine. Uh, I'm going to read her email here and then respond to it. Uh, She says, hi, Dave. I was glad to hear that your broadcast will continue full speed in 2012. I'm an avid listener of your podcasts and look forward to listening to you. One topic that would interest me is how do you lead employees that have zero motivation and consider that you owe everything to them? I have turned around my team and about 80% of my employees are great team players. Nonetheless, some 20% of them are totally passive. Is there something to do to change their mind and get them to realize the benefit of taking charge of their future? I very much appreciate your insight on this. Thanks and happy new year to you, your wife, Bonnie, and your new baby. Thank you, Sandrine. Well, Sandrine, first of all, two things before I respond to your question. Thank you so much for taking the time to reach out to me and for listening to the podcast. I'm so glad to hear that it's been helpful to you and uh, so glad that you've been a listener and so glad to have you as a listener. And secondly, and probably even more importantly, congratulations to you on your success in getting 80% of your team turned around. That's a huge accomplishment. Uh, and it sounds like you've been spending some time working on that. And uh, I hope that the show has been helpful to you, but gosh, that's a great, I mean, anytime you can get 80% of people <laughs> to follow you on anything in life, that's wonderful. So congratulations on that. So now to your question, you know, how do you, how do you motivate folks who you know, don't necessarily want to be motivated or feel that you owe everything to them. Well, I have a couple of suggestions for you and uh, and then also some additional resources. So first thing, if you haven't already done this, I mentioned in last week's episode, the book Drive by Daniel Pink, and it's a great book on how to keep people engaged and motivated. And um, so I'd certainly suggest checking out that book because there's so many wonderful ideas there. But if you don't have a chance to check that out, at the very least, go back to the show notes for episode 18 from last week and watch the 10-minute video link there that Stefan had sent over. And you will uh, I think that'll provide some interesting perspective on some, some uh, ideas around that. The other book, of course, is the Leadership Challenge book um, in, that I had mentioned earlier, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. One of the other things that I'm thinking of, though, around your question is, you know, one of the mistakes that a lot of leaders have historically made in the past and many leaders still make today is the focus and the energy and the amount of time that we put into our mediocre or non-performers in our organizations. And the Gallup organization was the kind of one of the first leaders around this uh, 15, 20 years ago of doing some research around what, what are the best managers out there. And they kind of changed the tables on people, uh, or turned the tables, I should say, on people on this a little bit. And uh, you know, historically, the belief was that you should spend, as a manager, or as a leader, you should focus on spend the most time with the people who are underperforming to really help them to perform more effectively. And Gallup said, you know, that's not true. The people that we've researched that are really the most effective leaders and managers are not focusing most of their time with their non-performers. They're spending the most time and resources and investment with the people who are the top performers in their organization. And they're investing in those people the most. And it's not that they're ignoring their non-performers, but they're just not spending a lot of time worrying about them and worrying about non-performance. 
And so I think that that's a really important perspective, um, Sandrine, for you as you consider this, because, um, and by the way, the book reference for that is First Break All the Rules. That was a tremendously popular book when it first came out and, and still is a tremendous resource. So it's a great book to read. But the thing that I, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, absolutely, when we talk about performance and managing people and leading people, people have to have to meet a certain level of minimum standards. Uh, every organization has a, has job descriptions, has minimum standards that people need to meet, and they, you know, they have to, you know, meet those minimum standards. Uh, that's just part of the contract of working for an organization. And if people are not meeting those minimum standards, then they need to get feedback about that. And that's where you need to connect with your human human resources professionals in your organization and dialogue with them and say, okay, this person isn't meeting these expectations. How do I go through the process of giving them feedback? How do we handle that? You know, how do we document that? How do we, you know, uh, go through the process of you know exiting them from the organization if they're not meeting those minimum standards so that i'm i'm going to assume that they're meeting those minimum standards if they're not talk to your human resources folks um, go down that path of documenting uh, doing what you need to do in order to resolve that situation if people are meeting the minimum standards though here's what i would tell you don't worry about it don't worry about it that much the, the thing that happens and that gets people into trouble in organizations and, and as leaders is they start worrying about the couple of people in their organization that are not the, the, you know, the great performers, the ones that are kind of just kind of skating by or kind of being mediocre. And you could spend 80 to 90% of your time focusing on those folks. And you sometimes will get some better results by spending a lot of time with those folks, but you'll miss the bigger opportunity which is focusing on the people who are doing your best work. So Sandrine, if I were you, and if I was advising you, I would say, don't worry too much about the 20% of people that aren't on board with you. Certainly make sure they're meeting the minimum standards, make sure that they are doing the things that they need to do. And if they're not, again, go through that process you need to go through. But uh, assuming that they are meeting the minimum standards, you can't make them, uh, you can't make them buy into your vision. You can ask them to, you can provide environments that will do that, but you can't ultimately force them to do that. And if they don't want to do that, don't force them to spend your time with the people who are really bought into what you're doing and are going along with you and driving the success of the organization, because those are the people that are going to stay with you. Those are the people that are going to be um, the folks that are going to be most likely to contribute to your success as a leader. And they're going to be the people that are going to stay with you long-term too. So I hope that that's helpful. And if it's not, and you're looking for more resources, by the way, um, feel free to email me back. But also in February, the next series of this show is going to be focused on engagement, how to engage the people that we're leading. And so stay tuned for that as well, Sandrine, because a lot more information coming there as well. Well, I hope the show today has been helpful to you and made the case for why personal leadership is important and critical. The link to the show notes is on our website, innovatelearning.com. This is episode 19. Just look this up on the, on the website there, and you'll be able to download all the links for the books and resources I mentioned today. I always post all of the links 
for anything I've mentioned. So you'll want to check out the website if you haven't already. Hey, if you or your organization are looking to improve the coaching skills of your leaders, give me a call. We might be able to help out. Again, our number is 877-LEARN-45 and our email address, feedback at innovatelearning.com. Hey, next week, we're going to be talking about core values and the importance of core values in personal leadership. You want to stick around for that. Hey, have a great first week of 2012, and I look forward to helping be your guide on personal leadership this year. Take care, everybody.